Tamara Thomas, Editor-in-Chief of UrbanHealthToday.com, part of the DocWire family of medical news sites. And I want to thank you for tuning in to Urban Health Weekly. Our goal each week is to keep you informed of the latest in health and medical news right from today's headlines. It's time to empower yourself with open conversations about your medical care with news that matters to you. So are you ready? Let's get started. Welcome to Urban Health Today, where we talk about medical news and health topics that matter to you. I'm Tamara Thomas, and I'm here with Jackie and Lou. How are you guys? Good. How are you guys doing? Great, great, great here. Awesome, awesome. So much in the news right now. We're going to cover some of it today, but let me ask you guys, have you ever heard of this new drug called Trank? It's a it's fentanyl mixed with a pet tranquilizer called xylazine. Oh, I didn't know that was the formula, but I did vaguely hear about something like that. Um, like vaguely, but I didn't know that that was like what That's it was. The new thing apparently. It's pretty yeah. nasty stuff. That's super scary. Turning people into living zombies apparently. And fall off. It's uncertain. I know it's here in New York and I heard it's in West Virginia and it's like spreading across the country. What what do you guys think of this? I'm still trying to figure out what crack is. <laughs> yeah, twenty five. Dude, I know, I know, I know. Uh, I mean, come on. I don't uh, understand like drugs in general, but like among the pantheon of drugs, why this one? Like I'm, I you know, I try to wrap my brain around. Not, I, a I still don't get. It. Aren't they? Isn't somebody like making something that's potent and cheaper, and they're like using filler, and that's what happens, and then that gets out there because it's not Maybe, like how are actively trying. Hands, how are people getting their hands on pet tranquilizers? Like they use this stuff on horses for heaven's sake. Well, that somebody in the somebody who's making it or some place that is uh, dipping into that. I mean. That stuff gets imported or somebody's making it in their backyard. I mean, cooking it up. like it's And just... then, and then, okay, so we can't, obviously we can't get into the mind of an addict. Mm -hmm. So, but let's say you're an addict and you see your skin is like puffing up and falling. Do you not stop or? No, that's the nature of the addiction. The brain is the hijack. That you just don't. I, I take know. more so you don't think about it. That's how that works. You're not, you're and not you don't like, think about the, the oblivion, like your parents. No, no. That's why we have to have things like needle exchange and stuff. The desperation is so intense. It's so compulsive. That's, that's why it's so like horrible. Right. Isn't that uh, people I don't do know. it relentlessly? It's the, the brain has been hijacked. Am, right. am I wrong here? I thought that was the nature of, of addiction, like really severe addiction. It's almost uh, involuntary. I think, you know, the, the heroin part of it uh, would make it addictive. It had I mean, heroin in it too? Yeah, I think it's heroin. Well, they say some of this stuff's way more addictive than heroin. Like everything, it's just like more and more and more addictive. I mean, somewhere along the line. Ugh. Okay. But I mean, I, you would think you want, want people to die off because well, they I'm don't take your supply. But I don't think it's, you know, I don't... I don't think this stuff is so like studiously done and made. It's just random filler to pass it on and cut it up and move it out. Right, it, and that I may mean, be, but I'm talking about from the, anyway, I, this is one <laughs> up to one of the life's mysteries, I guess. I, I guess because nobody starts drugs because they want to die. They want to forget. They want to oblivion, you know, a little oblivion, a little happy, but nobody really wants to die when they do drugs. Mm -hmm. 
And this is like a guaranteed shortcut to death. I mean, if you're like a zombie, you're like, you're almost dead. But it's not, it's not logical, right? I mean, none of this was yeah. logical. They were already bypassed that. Yeah, that's the problem. I'm applying logic to something that's not right. Logical. I mean, I ask to... me how to kick my sugar habit. I mean, it's, uh, this is 10 times 10 million. It's a lifelong issue. Sugar, like it's the mother of them all, right? That is... Yeah, that, that's and now we're going to stick a little fentanyl in there. And that's the end of that. Like, I'm not, wow. I, I It's just so frightening. Is there more stuff they're going to invent as if we didn't already have such miserable stuff? Yeah. I, I I guess, Girl. what was it? It was lying around and I, I don't I know. Guess, Where did is, this is stuff come from? I don't know. Do they say anything about that in the article? Do they know no, where? No, they're just talking about the effects and how people are dying. It's killing people more quickly and, and so forth. Wow. But nobody's talking about a drug dealer would want to make a drug that kills your client. I don't think they intend to make a drug that kills their client. I think they're making a drug that intends to increase their profits. Maybe they're just not not getting their hands on enough of the pure. Every time, like every time some substance or some ingredient is low, they'll replace it with some other ingredient. I that's the feeling I get. Yeah, because if you're buying a packet or a balloon or whatever, yeah, it's... You, you don't want to kill your host, uh, the host. Uh, I mean, you, you want to keep them alive. And yes, in that respect, virus. Some viruses are smarter than people, right? Yeah, I mean, if yeah. I was a drug dealer, I want I want to sell you wild stuff so you can you can <laughs> keep work, doing that. Function, yeah. steal, <laughs> get money. Okay, well, here, try this one. Try this. It's yeah. Those. Yeah. Oh, that didn't work either. Well, you know, try this. <laughs> Oh, this is what it says in the article. So it's like uh, opioid users have started using it to extend the effects of fentanyl and mimic the high of heroin. So, oh, gee. So the the tranquilizer does that? I guess it mimics it. Maybe if like they can't get there because you want to get your hand, I guess you want to get your hands on whatever's available. And if you can't get that, you're going to take this thing over here if you can't get your... I guess you need whatever you need something, and if that other stuff's not available, and this is you gotta have something. Yeah, I guess. And what about this whole thing with black women getting Botox so they don't sweat their edges out? Like what? So you're basically injecting oh. you're injecting Botox into your hairline to prevent the sweat glands from sweating out your little swirly edges. Mm. Let you me ask know. you, is that going to, do we know the long-term effects of that? Is that going to make your edges I fall? I don't know. Like, I, mean, I worry about that's like, like asking the long-term effects of like, of using Botox for, you know, mu- muscle paralysis, you know, to stop the, I mean, it's probably the same, the same thing, right? Like if you use Botox to stop um, animation, then I would imagine it's probably the same. I mean, look, they use it for people's underarms to stop. Right. So they do it for hyperhidrosis, right? Right. Thank you. Okay. Hyperhidrosis. Um, what else do they do it for? They do it for to relax the seasonless muscles in the, the neck for age, aging. Women. Oh, they do it for all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Sometimes they what? even do it if you have tics and mannerisms. They can do that. Right. They can exactly. do it for um, all different kinds of palsies. Um. And so if migraines, those, people with migraine attacks. And so if we can use it for those things, then why can't we use it for stopping sweat? But to me, you know, look, I'm not one to judge. I am a fan of the Botox. I am a partaker of the Botox. Um, but somehow this just feels a little bit like texture hatred. 
Ah. What's wrong if you sweat your edges out? What's wrong if you sweat your edges out? Also, this is such perfectionism and lack of reality. Are we going to have any like... It, well, it, the same could be said like a Botox, Botox in your forehead to see. All right, you know, fair enough. Aging. Is this like um, a special occasion thing or some people, is this like hair straightening? You know what I'm saying? Like it is get- keeping, it is keeping the product and your hairstyle longer. But I feel okay. like, do you really need to keep your hairstyle that long that you would, <laughs> I don't know. Like you don't, that's a very whole, expensive habit too. The whole principle like, is keeping your edges smooth and straight. If you have curly or coily hair. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't sweat the product that you put on to lay your edges mm-hmm. in place, stay in place. But why do you care if your edges don't stay in place? Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, I yeah, guess I guess if you're going for like a one time a thing, but this this gets to be a habit, right? Where people are just like have such a, a one, standard. Botox is not a one day thing. Botox is several months. So if you're, but you know, it's again, it's hard for me to judge. And There's it's hard perfectionism involved there. That's it's like all <laughs> vanity. Like yeah. people, people can easily say, what's wrong with just getting, what's wrong if you got, if your frown lines come in between your eyebrows and what's well, wrong with. Once you start, it's like these uh, folks and, and I don't partake of any of that stuff that use these exaggerated filters when they take pictures. Once you start. Oh, thinking, yeah. Once you start oh, because then you don't like see that. the reality. You can't tolerate the reality of stuff. You can't show your real face anymore. Because <laughs> everybody's going to say, what happened to them? They got ugly. You, you know, so. So you, you then you got to then you got to take a drug to look like the filtered face. It's like, get over it already. You know. I'm yeah. ugly and I'm proud. <laughs> some people would 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 argue well it's no different than doing botox to, to, for anti-aging to stop your brow from wrinkling and your brow from furrowing and your eye from squinting. well i'm only not doing it because uh it wasn't in my budget but i would be doing it well you know i'd be doing it. i got those major deep furrowed 11 lines from not having done botox in 15 years i would be doing some botox in that area i don't know if i'd be doing it for the edges, but that I don't know. Well, I don't but know. you also have. But if you spend big bucks on your on your hairdo and you have like a special occasion, you can get three months. Ah, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Well, it's, it's not. I, I worry. I worry that that's like too. That's too specific. That's too much hatred for your edges. Like it's that's a, that's, that's what it feels experience. like to me. It feels yeah. like I never want my natural texture to be revealed to the world so I want my laid edges meaning you know when you put product in it and it stays flat you know against your forehead I want my laid edges to last through the entire hairstyle through the night and I don't want anything to disrupt it and I get it if you're at some like some gala or right. if you're and you spend big bucks on your due it's a special occasion and now you're gonna have three months of no sweating your edges right. and- or you're on some tour or something like that right. you make sure or you want to make sure that if you're wearing your lace front the glue doesn't come up oh and ruin your due you don't want your your egg your oh um, does it do that too would it, it do could. that it could if you don't have if you well, it depends on the adhesive. I don't do adhesive anymore because it, it pulls out. Because it pulls your hair out, right? Like, yeah. Right, exactly. 
Um, and you don't want to have to put it way back on your head because then that looks weird. And you don't want to put it way in front of your hairline because that looks weird too. So you want it to look as natural as possible. So it could be for stuff like that as well. I'm just All right, now I'm starting to get a new sense of things I plan on doing when I hit the Powerball. <laughs> like, oh, so for a special occasion, that's an option so that I could put down my wig and the lace front will glue nicely and won't come. Oh, it's good to know. But yeah, does it have to be a regular occurrence? <laughs> I don't know. But if you're on tour, then maybe you do it right. for that period. I, I don't know. We have to see how this develops and see what, what happens uh, and see if this takes hold. But that's apparently the new rage. Who knew? All right. Okay, on to medical news of the week. But again, who are we to judge? I mean, we do it for different reasons. So I mean, yes. if, if people want to, I, I, I guess, I, I don't know. I just, I don't see a problem with it, but you know, someone else won't see a problem with if you're, if you get a deep line in your, like, I right. don't want a deep furrow in my brow, period. I don't want it. And I, I think it's, I don't want a deep furrow in my, I don't want my 11 lines. I, I look like, angry all the time. I don't want my, exactly. <laughs> I don't want to look angry all the time or like I'm stressed or like I'm worried. I don't want to look like that. So the, the same could be said. So it's, it's hard to say, but We're moving just on. reporting. Yes, we're just reporting, maybe judging a little, but we shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's a medical news of the week. Exercise in nature has psychological benefits. An experimental study found that exercising in the presence of nature, even virtual nature, offers psychological benefits compared to exercising without. The study, published in the International Journal of Psychophysiology, further pinpointed areas of the brain that may be responsible for these effects. Physical activity is a known stress reducer that may even be able to lower a person's mental health risk. Research suggests that exercising in natural environments, called green exercise, is especially beneficial since it is experienced as more enjoyable, relaxing, and easier to stick to compared to indoor exercise. Some evidence suggests that even the virtual presence of nature can produce these types of benefits. Hmm. Uh, that for sure. I know for a fact, now that I'm doing a lot of dog walking and I'm out in nature for several hours, uh, several times a week, my anxiety and stress levels after the, the walk are much better. I have to say, well, I have to say, I'm not sure what there is to understand about this. This sounds well, that's like a no brainer, right? <laughs> yeah. It sounds like a dog to me. Like, of course we're human beings. We're supposed to spend, do you, yeah. do you guys remember the experiment? with the, the tree in the bottle and the mouse in the separate bottle. And then they put the mouse in the tree in the plant rather in the bottle together. And they both lived. Oh, no. But, so they put a, a plant in a jar in a sealed jar and the plant eventually died. They put a mouse in the jar, the jar, you know, the mouse eventually died. They put the mouse and the plant together in the jar and they both lived mm. because we have a symbiotic relationship with nature. So I don't know what the scientists think they're going to bottle doing this, but they're welcome to look into it. But in the meantime, this to me says, you know, get to it. Well, you I know. saw an interesting thing where they talked about um, why is it that bird sounds are so soothing? And then there was some some report years ago where I remember the New York Times said something about people at the end of their life want to hear bird song which makes total sense to me, you know, like that. What did they, they say? About, why? why? Well, we there's a theory why, uh, why birdsong might be like anxiety reducing. And that might be because it's a, 
it's a natural clue in the environment that yeah. uh, things are normal currently in the environment and there's no danger. So it's like this very oh. subtle clue that we pick up that there isn't, you know, that the environment is intact. Where's by that? He has a, a bird feeder right outside his uh, window. Ooh. And what, what happens is in the morning, all these birds come and, and make noise and wake him up. And he, that's his, that's his alarm clock. Nature's alarm clock. And that's interesting. I, I'm a believer in that too. Cause I notice also another thing, birds don't really chirp when there's like some massive storm coming. So I think it's a natural, like, mm-hmm. there's a natural, like, um, signal. Like that's like we're really hardwired to hear that or be aware of it. So yeah, and he's elderly and retired, so it's not like he has to get up to go to a meeting or you know if he gets up at seven, that's fine. He just likes to get up with kind of like with the dawn and with the animals. With nature on the nature cycle, very cool. Yeah. So he's on the bird cycle, you know. He's on the bird cycle. That's true. The birds sometimes start really I early. It was a bit nutty, but uh, but now well, that you guys talk about it, it, it makes I'm the nutty one for not paying more attention. Uh, well, my a night owl. And he uh, wakes up to the the crow. Not the crow, sorry, the uh, rooster. rooster? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh. Wakes up to the sound well, of back the... in the day, we used to wake up to roosters. That's right. Maybe they well, not we, that. but people who lived, you know, in agricultural areas. Yeah. Not so much big city. But even if you live in the big city, you're going to hear pigeons. I mean, I remember being a kid. Pigeons living don't really make that much noise unless yeah, they make that unless they're on your window. You're yeah, right. yeah, but you're aware so of it. Like you're but, aware if there's no. You know, that's still a sound of nature. Like I'm I could, not aware if there's no pigeon, but <laughs> I remember when I used to spend time with my aunts and she lives on the ninth floor of a building. Oh, and, she's uh, not hearing anything there, huh? No, no, no. She would hear them because it's it was kind of like a circle of three buildings. So it was, oh. you know, all the three buildings kind of came together uh, in the back and the pigeons would sit on the air conditioner in the back in the shade and you just hear them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So that I remember, I know what you're talking about there, but in general, that is part of the green spaces, you got to have green spaces in the city. Then there's not a lot here. And they have the nerve to want to, to cram more housing in without putting in more oh. spaces for people. It's yeah. really horrible. Well, I, you know, the two of my most relaxing things to do, like I go for walks sometimes. Um, and uh, one of my most relaxing ones is, you know, don't get this wrong, but it's out in the cemetery. And the ah, it's a green space. Yeah, it's green space. There's very trees, green. there's grass. I mean, there's dead people, but at the end of the day, it's very quiet and 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 I find it soothing. I mean, find me weird or find me, you know, find me a Stephen King. Didn't that used to be a major destination for people out of New York City? They would go to Brooklyn to the cemetery. That was a thing. The Victorians used to do that. Like people of that age, that was a thing to do because it was out into nature. I didn't know that. Well, yeah. that makes, that makes yeah. really good sense. It's pretty. That sounds pretty soothing. Yeah, in Louisiana, they do that too. They tours the city of the dead and all of that. And the other thing that I was thinking of now, this may one may sound a little weird, but when I do my bike exercises, I like the scenic rides. I oh, do you do too. that? I was gonna say, do you? Know, so they're saying in this study that uh, it seems to help too if you're looking at the scenic ride that that does have an effect. I have found I do that too, and I have found uh, a couple of favorites that I that I like, and I do. Are you in the canyon or are you in the woods? I am actually going across the city. I forgot that it's like a French city. I forget the name of the city, 
but it's so pretty and I just love looking at it and everything is so beautifully manicured and you just feel like you're riding through the the countryside it's just so cute um I just really like it meanwhile you're still really doing the city it. version oh <laughs> well, yeah you city it's girl. a city with a lot of green space but it's a right it's a city with a lot of green space it's just so pretty and so tranquil I just I I, nature dictates that I shouldn't like it because it's artificial but I just mm -hmm. love it and I don't usually do like the same rides over and over again but this one I keep doing I just keep coming back to it now what you're saying Lou makes sense it's maybe I just maybe some I'm just responding to it because it just feels so yeah beautiful. I, I do a lot of them but I, I gravitate towards the Panamanian jungle uh the jungle on lots of green okay yeah the jungle uh some lake in China and uh there's also, they got a desert one that I like every once in a while. Oh, yeah, a desert and canyons. Okay. Yeah. I like going through cityscapes. That's <laughs> with, with green, with green. In the, with the green. Desert. That's it's what green. all cities need. Manicured. Yeah. That's how all cities should be. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. All right. So we're going to have to take a break now, I think. Okay. We'll take a break and yep. we'll be right back. All right. And we're back. And we were just talking about exercise and we're going to talk about exercise some more. Exercise for muscle strength. How often, not how much time you do it, may be key. A new study finds that exercising briefly five days a week may be superior to an extended exercise session once a week. Mm -hmm. The study's participants who did just six arm resistance exercises five days a week improved muscle strength and muscle thickness. The study involved maximum strength exercises, but researchers are seeing evidence in ongoing studies that suggest less strenuous resistance exercise may also work. Let me tell you, I've always believed half a loaf is better than none. And doing something you could make daily time for, even for a few minutes, is better than doing nothing for several days and then trying to blow your back out. I used to always like blow my back out and go really heavy because I was trying to like thicken my muscle and then I'd be like, woo, and then, you know, and then you're out for like a couple of days. Exactly. Like, oh, on the legs, like I would do, you know, I'm doing leg day today and then I'd be like, you know. Wow, you were serious. Back then, yeah. Now, now, but that's not, that's not necessarily sustainable, you know, like, so that is a very reassuring study that you can get a lot out of stuff without having to do like that bodybuilder style that like, you can really get just well, as know, much out of. I just kind of learned that over time though, that, you know what, you get the same. Well, you listen to your body. Yeah. Well, you know, when I, when I can't do a full workout and by full, I mean like 30 minutes, I don't do like one hour. I, I, I just injured myself, but you know, I do sometimes the, uh, the seven minute workout from Johnson and Johnson. It's quick and it hits all the major muscle groups and it tones and it does its job. They have planks and they have squats and they oh, have- Oh, that's great. Squat. I got to do that. Cause you know, I'm a little bit all or, well, I'm a lot of all or nothing. So I haven't like, other than You're walking, intensity girl. I haven't been doing any of like the muscle stuff. So if I, if we start with seven minutes, that's better than nothing. And that, that's better than nothing doable. Exactly. And it still counts in my tracker, my fitness tracker. <laughs> what do you do, Lou? Uh, well, I do have a fitness tracker, uh, and uh, I no, no, to... we're talking about exercise. That is a exercise. <laughs> <laughs> Look how she's not counting that. That those like those steps don't count. No, no, no. But no, they do they, count. But count. of course they count. I'm not saying they don't count. <laughs> they count, and um, you know the what what gets me is kind of like the peer pressure with these things. 
that to, you know you don't want you don't want your group you know quote unquote that's that's like watching you or or whatever you don't want to be at the end you don't want to be the person that does the least so I kind of have to keep up with it every day and I do feel that that helps me oh uh, you have one with the group well yeah what what uh I you know I'll, I'll name the brand I use Fit. Ah. it allows you to do is join groups so you can join groups of oh, friends invite friends and that taps into your inner competitiveness yeah you're yes. making good use out of it yes but it's not you know it's nobody it's it, friendly well i'm not going to say that but hey i did ten thousand steps i see you only did three thousand <laughs> do just, people really say that to you there's a little bit of that but oh. you know, there's, there's weeklies and and monthlies and and dailies and all of that and, and then the group gets bigger and and you know with me i just don't want to be the last guy in the group you know i i don't want to be the caboose so that's that's my thing in the group uh and i find that 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 kind of helps because that kind of prods me along but i've never been the top the one the top performer except by accident uh, <laughs> a couple times <laughs> One time when I went to a giant game and I had to walk like six times around the stadium to find my seat. <laughs> it was the first game of the year. You, you know, they just kept wandering around. And, I didn't, and then I couldn't find my car. It, it was like just a nightmare of a day. But I bet your steps were on. In the parking lot. That's it. Yeah. yeah it, it was like, did I get, your steps I, were on fire. I looked at it. It was like 15,000 steps. Look at like, I said, oh my God, I should do this more often. Go, go Gadget Louie. Yeah, forget where you park the car. You know, that's a lot of <laughs> Well, so it, this is good to know that it's it's not uh, how how long you do it. It's it's how much time you commit to it. Because, I, I, you know, I believe small steps every day. Also, that's more sustainable. Yeah. Oh, yes, it is. And, you, and it's repeatable. You know, you're not laid up for the rest of the week and hoping you recover to do it again next week. That's not mm -hmm. sustainable. Heart disease among the young. It's the lifestyle. Heart problems are on the rise among an unlikely demographic, young people. People between 25 and 44 have experienced a nearly 30% increase in heart attack deaths since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, a 2022 study conducted by Cedars-Sinai Hospital in Los Angeles suggested. Another study from Johns Hopkins published in 2018 that reviewed 28,000 hospitalizations for heart attacks over a 20-year period found the rate of heart attacks for women aged 35 to 54 increased, even as the overall mortality rate for heart disease decreased. Heart disease is an umbrella term that encompasses heart health problems, including heart attacks, irregular heartbeats, or other damage to different parts of the organ. High blood pressure, high cholesterol, and smoking cigarettes are typically the root causes of many types of heart disease, but lifestyle changes and national trends could be behind the increase in heart disease among young people, according to Dr. Jim Liu, a cardiologist at the Ohio State Wexner Medical Center. Is anyone surprised by this, though, given the cancer epidemic among young people? Okay. I, mean, I mean, also, is there an increase in vaping? Because they mentioned cigarettes, but I guess they mean vaping and e-cigarettes, right? They mean all of that, right? I, I think they mean all of that, although that was outlawed. But the thing is, everything you want is delivered to your door. And streaming oh. is nonstop entertainment. So you literally never have to leave your couch. Oh, yeah. I don't have to leave my bed if I don't want to. 
<laughs> Unless if you want to get a cosmetic procedure or you need hospitalization. That's the only right. time. You can... That's right. But you barely even have to see a doctor anymore for your prescription drugs. So well, yeah. I think there's been a, a, a five year, a five to 10 year trend where folks don't, you know, if you need to buy, get a snack or if you need to get something, you nobody dial, can go to the corner bodega. You yeah, you dial Uber Eats. It's it's delivered to your house. Right. I, I I'm not going to go to the supermarket this week. I'll have Seamless or whatever. Uh, drop it off at the house. Um, you know, you don't walk. Things things are brought to you. Oh, yeah. You don't go to the store. Things are, are brought to you. Then when your you takeout at, is delivered. When you look at entertainment, you can definitely do seven different things and be entertained without leaving your couch. Yes. You don't even have to go to the movies anymore because now with thanks to streaming, everything yeah. comes directly to you. Right. You don't have to schlep to the You don't have to leave your house at all. You just yeah. have to be a little patient. Yeah. Everything little comes to you yes. uh, in terms of that. So I think there's been a lifestyle change, even parties. Absolutely. You know, people people get together and, and they just play video games. It's not that much dancing or, or this or that or walking around. Or yeah. It, it's just, let's find the screen and a controller and, and play. So right. I, I think this is starting to, we're starting to see the results of this because people have been doing this for the last decade. Tell and, me about and, it. And getting worse and worse. All right. So now you started when you were 25. Now you're 35. You're 50 pounds overweight. And now. This may have even started when they were 15. Because I remember when I was. Um, now it's starting earlier. Yeah. Very active. You know, when I played outside with my friends, we played uh, red light, green light, one, two, three. We played tag. We ran around. We jumped double dutch. I don't even see double dutch anymore. Oh, my I God. Mean, double dutch. Is- yeah, nobody does, nobody double does double. that. Nobody's got no. the stamina or the technique. No. Yeah. I mean, and, and you find you find girls just kind of standing around and just talking. By the time my sister was was you know my age, she's standing around talking. It's like, why aren't you guys playing? You guys are kids. You're supposed to be running around. And wow. we have kids now that are physically have no stamina and they're becoming young adults who have no stamina and are now putting on the pounds and not losing those pounds. Remember when you got the freshman 15, but by the time you graduated, you lost it. That freshman 15 is staying on. It's not freshman 15 is happening in middle school now. Yeah, exactly. It's just yeah. not coming off because there's just not enough physical because everything is just so convenient. We've just become a, a, a lifestyle and we don't even have to exercise anymore if we want to lose weight because now we got drugs to do. Oh, it. that's right. Everybody should be listening to us right now. <laughs> <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> speaking of prescription drugs and speaking of drugs, why get exercise? I was saying when you can take a miracle drug to lose all that weight from sitting around and eating ultra processed food. Yeah, but don't you still have to exercise even with your miracle what drug? I think, but you know, it's not about okay. So we all know that exercise is the best and most lasting way to lose weight. Yeah, you know, it's really unfortunate. You can't get away with not exercising. Like, I mean, it's just <laughs> However, the prescription is always exercise. Right. I agree with you. However, what's happening now is we're becoming a nation of cosmetic procedures. Ah. So if you can get your stomach stapled, if you can get liposuction, or if you could get one of these, um, you know, these fat reducing drugs, 
what do you need to exercise for? You can just continue on with your life and the drugs will do the work for you. That said, we talked about this before, remember? Semaglutide? Yes, yes. I just want to remind you of some of the nasty side effects besides nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, upset stomach, and constipation. Doesn't that sound like a drug? Uh, <laughs> sounds like a commercial. Upset stomach, yeah. diarrhea. <laughs> I was waiting for you to bust out that song. <laughs> okay. A lump in the neck, difficulty swallowing, cough, shortness of breath, difficulty breathing, upper abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, blurred vision, spots or dark strings floating in your vision, fluctuating vision, vision loss, darker empty areas in your vision, shakiness, nervousness, anxiety, sweating, chills, clamminess, irritability, impatience, confusion, fast heart rate, lightheadedness, dizziness, hunger, decreased urination, swelling in your legs, ankles, or feet, fatigue, rash, itching, and shock. Which drug is this? I'm not going to say it's a group of drugs with the main uh, ingredient is called semaglutide. Oh, okay. Do you remember semaglutide? There yeah. were a bunch of them that had this, the Ozempic, Wegovi, and a couple of other yeah. of, the, of them, those weight loss drugs. Well, I'm thinking of taking one of those. But... Yeah, I know. But you, you know, and the doctors will tell you all this stuff, but they don't tell you about these side effects. Now, with this list that I just read, are you still going to do the Ozempic? Or the Wegovi. Let's just let's not no. name a name. Let's okay. just say semaglutide. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. Because you think none of those things will happen. Yeah, it won't happen. To me. That only happens to somebody else. No, no, okay. <laughs> be, I haven't pooped in one of those shows. I haven't pooped in three weeks. Oh. But this is normal. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. So there is one good side effect that I can get behind. Listen to this. Some people on Ozempic lose the desire to drink and scientists wow yeah as ozempic gains more attention and more people use the diabetes drug off-label to lose weight doctors say that many patients are reporting this experience they start the medication and then stop wanting to drink alcohol it's certainly something i've heard many of my patients say usually in a positive way said dr gabay chief scientific and medical officer of the american diabetes association i apologize sir if i botched your name Tina Zarper, 46, used to have a glass of wine a few times a week while she cooked dinner. But after she started taking Wegovi, a weight loss drug containing semaglutide, which is the active ingredient in Ozempic in 2021, she found herself repelled by alcohol, she said. She would try to have a drink, but struggle to finish. It was like, ugh, I don't want to, she said. Wow, how is that not a good thing? I mean, it takes away a little bit of the pleasure, but... Wow. Scientists are working to understand why people like Zarpar experience this side effect. There are some clues. Semaglutide belongs to a class of drugs called glucagon-like peptide 1 receptor agonists, which mimic a hormone in our bodies that makes us feel full. Semaglutide helps control insulin and blood sugar levels and can also potentially affect the areas in the brain that regulate our desire for food. Some people taking Ozempic have reported feeling less excited or, in some cases, even disgusted by the foods they once enjoyed. It's unclear why that reaction may extend to alcohol. Well, because they're all intoxicants? Just, just a thought. A few human studies <laughs> on alcohol and medications like Ozempic are underway. Researchers in Denmark, some of whom previously received research funding from Novo Nordisk, the company that manufactures Ozempic, recently published 
the results of a clinical trial that tested the GLP-1 receptor agonist in patients with alcohol use disorder. The study therapy, I'm sorry, the study included nearly 130 people and examined whether those who received the compound alongside cognitive behavioral therapy drank less than those who received the placebo and therapy. Both groups showed a decrease in alcohol consumption, but patients diagnosed with obesity who were treated with the GLP-1 compound and therapy dramatically reduced the amount they drank compared to those who only received the placebo and therapy. Okay. Mm. That, uh, that's really exciting. I'm really curious to know if it has something to do with like, well, they talk about it's for your blood sugar. I'm I'm really curious to know the mechanism. I mean, they mention it. Let um, me know that we may actually have a real shot at curing alcoholism. I'm so excited about this discovery. So excited. Although I'm waiting to see how the alcohol industry re reacts to their, is going to react to their shrinking. <laughs> That's going to be interesting. I want to see how they're going to come at that one. Anyway, I hope these semaglutide drugs get this yeah. indication and the FDA um, gets the gets gives it yeah. the thumbs uh, up. I'm wondering if they're going to pass it out like an AA if they uh, get that indication. Ah, that would be fantastic. I would love to see a world of tea toddlers like myself. I, I got to ask you something, though. What uh, What is it that you feel like you don't like it as an obesity drug, but you don't mind it as an alcohol drug? What do you think that's about? You got me. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. She's, she's prejudiced, but you know, Botox is wonderful. But Ozempic, you know, she can have the Botox, and I can't have my Ozempic. <laughs> got me good. Yeah. Okay, well, if I could take a moment to explain myself, yeah, you have okay. to explain yourself here. Okay, so I didn't say that I don't like it for a weight loss drug. Okay, I think it's just a shortcut. Uh, uh, actually so have, you're not buying that it's just another tool in my toolkit you're not you're no, not I'm not that? I'm not with that because I don't think that uh, there's any real substitute for the actual work of exercise uh, okay. diet however alcoholism is a completely different uh beast that destroys incomes destroys households destroys careers destroys families etc do I you know. not think obesity is a disease I think obesity is a disease, but I think obesity is a different kind of disease. I think it's a disease, it's a lifestyle disease, whereas alcohol is an addiction. And yes, there is food addiction because of the way food is made now. But I just think that, okay. So I was reading about a guy recently who was from Ireland. I wish I'd shared this with you guys. But if he was from Ireland and he had struggled most of his life with being an obese guy. He decided to move out of Ireland and move to some small village in Spain where there was no fast food, there was no modern conveniences, and he had to exercise. So he, for, he forced himself, he would walk his dog and he would build up his stamina. He joined a little rinky-dink gym in the area and he went for long walks and he cooked all his food from scratch. At what when whenever he had a craving for fast food, like the nearest McDonald's was like a hundred miles away, and he just didn't feel like going, and he's like, ah, it's just faster if I cook, and he lost all of that weight, and now he goes on all these speaking tours, and he wrote a book and all this other stuff, and he just he just changed his lifestyle. He changed his lifestyle completely, and that's what I think people should do. I think we should stop with all this shortcut convenience stuff because the body needs what the body needs. 
That's the difference. Saha. So what you're saying is it's uh it's all these people who are risk. taking it. Yeah, they need to change their lifestyle. And if they need the other thing, that's on top of changing the life. It's not a substitute for changing your lifestyle. It's not a substitute right. for changing your lifestyle and, and cleaning up your act. But alcohol, once you're in the grips of alcohol, it's very, look, these, these side effects vis-a-vis destroying your life because of an addiction to alcohol pale to me in comparison well the drunk driving right thank you people all that those those are you know they they have you can kill somebody else and and here's the thing with with ozempic and and all these drugs there's different degrees of obesity i think and and i'll go to bmis bmi is 40 and above body mass index body Mm -hmm. mass index for you if you're 40 and above, you're morbidly obese. It's, you've got to do an intervention or some bad things are going to start happening to you within the next five years. It's just the way it is. It's going to be diabetes, some type of cancer. You're, you're really at risk for a lot of bad things. If you're like me, where my BMI is 30, so I'm about 10% overweight, 10 to 20% overweight. I'm always chasing that ring. I, I just never, I just never seem to. 30, 30 is a tough number, right? Cause you're just on the cusp and it's not enough. It's not right. You're chasing the ring. Okay. Right. I'm always chasing the ring. I'm always like, okay, if I can only lose these last 20 pounds and losing the last 20 pounds, you know, either, either a holiday creeps its ugly head or something. I, I can always maintain the weight, but I just can't seem to lose it. I feel deep down inside that if something could just take this last 30 pounds away, is not coming back because I'm good at maintaining weight. I'm just not good at losing the weight. So what, you know, what, what to do? And is this something that I would take temporarily? What what should I do? But can I ask you this? Would you, and I'm not discouraging you. I think if you feel that it'll help you, I think you should do it. Not that you need my blessing. But do you feel that if you did it, because don't forget now, sitting is the new smoking. Right. Do you feel that you would be more active if you lost those 20 pounds? You know, in some instances now at at my age, I don't think it's going to change that drastically, but there's, there's a lot of going up and down stairs that I don't do because, you know, at the cusp, your your knees start to hurt a little bit. And I know that when I'm five pounds lighter, the knees don't bother me that much. Um, I'm active, I'm semi-active, you know, I'm not at the, I'm not the video game age or anything like that. And I, and I get off my butt to go to the store and, and do all those things. Um, I, I don't know if my total steps are going to increase or not, to be honest with you, if the weight goes off. But I do know that I can maintain weight for long periods of time. Hmm. Hmm. He's making hmm. a convincing case. Well, I mean, he certainly doesn't need our permission. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> I can maintain a weight for five years. And then all of a sudden I have like a bad two, three months due to something or other, you know, and, uh, you know, call it. And then all of a sudden you blow back up. I I blow back up and then it takes me a year to lose that weight. It's so hard to lose weight when you're older. Yeah. Very difficult. Yeah. It's hard for, yeah. 
Remember when we were like in our twenties and we could lose like five pounds like, oh, really man. quickly? Or I gotta like lose some weight. And then a week yeah. later, after working out for like five days, you're like good again. Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't happen. I can go down twenty pounds in three weeks. Oh that, my gosh! Yeah, it, but that that was artificial. That that was artificial weight loss, and and I'm not for. You know, I'm not. I'm a little bit too old to. You know, I can do it. I can. I can do the Atkins thing and do all of that. But I know it comes right back. That's not. And it's not sustainable, right? Right. I, I'm looking at sustainable weight loss, and I'm wondering, does Ozempic give that to you? The well, sustainable we're all, weight loss. We're all wondering that. By the way, have you heard of Ozempic face? It's when you uh-huh. lose weight so rapidly that the structural fat in your face just gets eaten up, and you age rapidly. That's all over, uh, all over, like all those like gossipy news channels. That's all, they're showing like before and after Ozempic faces. Like that's like a big, that's a big thing. Yeah. Well, this is an excerpt from an interview with Dr. Robert Sipperstein, a board-certified Florida dermatologist, talking about Ozempic face. So they asked him, "Have you noticed Ozempic face in your patients?" Yes, I have many patients with sudden weight loss, some from Ozempic and others from gastric bypass or even illness, whose faces look gaunt and drastically different, often out of proportion with their body. I actually saw this quite a bit in the last few years with those who were seriously ill with COVID as well. However, with Ozempic, the weight loss is more extreme, 50 to 60 pounds weight loss instead of 20 to 30 pounds, and therefore the effect on the face is more obvious and distressing to patients. Is there a difference in how weight loss appears on the face depending on the rapidity of weight loss? Mostly, it is simply more noticeable to everyone when there is a sudden difference in someone's face versus a slow change over time. However, the faster weight loss gives the other tissues less time to adjust and therefore the skin is more likely to sag as it does not have the proper time to remodel around the new volume underneath. In addition, these patients are often over 40, which is a time when the skin and soft tissues are less likely to spring back to their shape before the weight gain, since collagen and elastin are diminished. Ooh, well, that's unfortunate. Mm. Well, I noticed from uh, my weight loss that my face like went down and I didn't take any Ozempic or any of those uh, medications. But, you know, if you lose a lot of weight and you're older, you're going to have a little bit. So it's like a little bit of a trade-off. I the think. article was more about using dermophilus. dermophilus ah, oh, okay. Buzz. Right. By the way, they should really call this the magnitude face because that's yeah. it's not fair to the one. Ozempic sounds <laughs> more zippy or catchy. In mm. any event, I just thought it was a good explanation for what it is and why it happens. Let me tell you, I went through a period of stress and the same thing started happening to my face because I got so thin. Right, and there you go, like, right. Right. I thought it was me just getting older. Maybe the stress was making me look tired, but thankfully my dermatologist noticed and filled me right up. She was ah, like, good for you. Know. She was like, just give me one. Just, and she just started pew, 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 pew. And I was like, whoa, I look like a hag. <laughs> no idea. I look so haggard. <laughs> well, that's that old uh, thing you used to say at a certain age, it's your face or your fanny. Right? But I lost my face and my fanny. Ah. So I just started eating more carbs to like gain it back because I, I lost volume in my boobs. My butt started getting smaller. I couldn't have that. So all of you people on Olympic or weight, <laughs> you know, just keep an eye on your face. Keep an eye. Keep yes. Keep looking, keep looking in that mirror. 
Don't just look at the body weight coming off. Look at that face too over time. All right, let's uh, take a break now. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. And we're back. And we're on to this week's topic of breast surgeon's cancer, breast cancer battle changes her perspective. Now I am going to, first of all, uh, I may have mentioned her before. I don't remember if I did or not correct me if I didn't, but Liz O'Rourden, she's a former breast surgeon based in the UK. Um, and she was diagnosed in 2015 at the age of 40 with breast cancer for the first time. You might remember her from the headlines last year where she was being threatened for calling out what she called Nutribolics treatments. This was her word, Nutribolics. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Cancer on her blog. People were like threatening her life. Anyway, this is her story as told to Molly Lipson for Business Insider. I'm going to read as much of it as I can because I want people to understand my thinking here. So just listen. As a consultant breast surgeon in the UK, I thought I knew everything there was to know about breast cancer. Then in July, 2015, at the age of 40, I was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer myself. As soon as the radiographer put the probe on my breast, I looked at the screen and saw cancer. I didn't need to wait for the biopsy or the results to find out. I knew what it was and I knew it was big. Because I was young, I knew I would need chemo, possibly a mastectomy. I even had a good idea of my chances of being alive in 10 years. In that moment, it was like something switched off inside me because I've looked after people who've died of breast cancer. It was too much to cope with. It felt like it was happening to someone else. Two weeks later, I started chemo. Ooh, that's pretty quick. I quickly realized that despite having prescribed chemo for so many patients, I knew nothing about how it would actually feel. I had no idea how ill it could make you or how to cope with the brain fog, the instant menopause, the severe constipation, and losing my sense of taste. After five months of chemotherapy, my cancer seemed to have completely melted away, according to my scans. I went to get the results of that surgery on December 23rd. I really thought it was all over. However, it turned out that there were still over five inches of cancer left in my breast wow. and lymph nodes. It hadn't shrunk. I knew what that meant. My chances of survival had suddenly dropped. It meant more surgery and more radiotherapy. I couldn't process it, but of course I had to do it. So I had more treatment and it was really, really hard, particularly experiencing menopause at 40. Mm. It was also really hard going back to work because having had cancer myself, I didn't want to perform surgeries because I was experiencing chronic pain and I knew how much pain I might give my patients. I also felt it difficult because when I told someone they had cancer, I wanted to say, yes, it's terrible. I know it's terrible. I get it. But as a surgeon, I couldn't really do that because we're supposed to be factual and if anything, positive. Two and a half years after my operation in 2018, I found a nodule of scar tissue under my arm. An ultrasound showed less than an inch reoccurrence of cancer on my chest wall. I have had a mastectomy and I was confronted with new fears. How am I going to cope with being flat chested? I know it's vain, but you don't consider what your breasts mean to you until you lose them. Then I had to deal with another problem. The pain I was experiencing in that area meant I lost mobility in my left arm. And as a result, I couldn't operate anymore. I was forced to retire and I wasn't sure what to do next. But I came to realize that people diagnosed with breast cancer were turning to the internet for answers to the questions their doctors didn't have time to give them. Now, I said I wanted people to understand my thinking. 
I see doctors regularly for surveillance. I talk about this all the time. You know, I don't make right. this a secret. I listen to these doctors tell me how something is supposed to feel. And all I can think is, you have not had this procedure. So you cannot tell me whether you think this will be easy or not. Like, don't tell me. Stop trying to tell me this is easy or you know how hard it is. And you're, you have no idea or you wouldn't even fix your mouth to say the things you're saying to me. I had a, a consultation last week with the plastic surgeon. And she was a very nice woman, very thorough, very compassionate. But all I kept doing was giving this woman daggers because she's trying to be positive about something that there is no positive, there is no happy ending. Like there's no happy ending to telling a woman that she needs to remove her breast uh, to prevent herself from getting cancer 10 or 20 years in the future. There's just no way to, to spin this that's good. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I'm giving up my healthy breast tissue because it may prevent cancer in 10 or 20 years. But she never talked about my quality of life afterwards. She talked about rebuilding my nerves. But the whole, which is a good thing, because that cuts down on the pain that I was reading about that a lot of women have after. I didn't know that was an option. Well, to rebuild the nerves? Yes. They yeah. use the allografts and they rebuild the nerve. It takes time, okay. but it does rebuild. It basically builds bridges from where the nerves still are to create new nerve sensation. And by the way, when they did the last biopsy, they severed the nerve in my breast. So now my <gasps> left nipple has no feeling. So there's that. <sighs> And, you know, to say to, to say to a patient, when you have not experienced this yourself, that everything is going to be fine, you're full of it. You're absolutely full of it. And I know you're supposed to be positive and I'm not trying to knock anybody's hustle. However, they, they, this needs to change. Even urologists, uh, you know, they're coming up short on the challenges prostate cancer survivors are facing with erectile dysfunction and, and constant, but nobody asked them to do a prophylaxis surgery to, to give up their prostate do you, do you see what I'm saying like there has to be a better way and I, I just would like to see more oncologists either go through the process and then look at a patient and see if they could say the same thing like this Dr. O'Riordan or be brutally honest about cancer treatment and cancer options because this right here is a poor excuse for prevention all right I'm off my soapbox wow wow no I, it's just so important i'm just trying to think what would have made you i don't know that you should feel better right is that part of it that like i don't want to feel better i don't right. Feel better right i know that you're not being completely genuine because you really have no idea you have no idea what you're asking me to do you know the problem is a lot of these um oncologists they don't think in terms of your quality of life they uh, never think about yeah. how you'll feel after. Yeah, it's about the numbers, blah, blah, blah. It's right. about, that. this is what they call preventing cancer. This is not preventing cancer. This is saving my numbers, saving my stats. I've managed to, and by the way, this is not 100%. It, they say that it improves your chances of not getting cancer by 90%, but 90% is not 100%. Yeah. So how would you feel if you gave up, like this doctor gave up her breast? Okay, it was a recurring case. But she gave right. up her breast and then she ended up having cancer Two on, years. Her chest, on her chest wall. Yeah. Well, it was like three years, but still. Yeah. That's awful. That is such an awful, awful slap in the face. Yeah. I, mm. You know, the quality of life is, is such an intent. Some things are measurable and some things are not. And, you know, recurrence of cancer is a measurable, is a measurable statistic. 
But what is not measurable is misery, acute pain. What is it doing? And how can, are you going to be able to do your activities? And, and you can right. how long you're going to live anyway. And and and, and was, is it going to recur or is it not going to recur? I, I mean, there's so much that that is an intangible there. The doctors really have to do a better job at educating you and having you talk to, you know, or or do the research for you, because I don't think that that many people out there are doing this type of research, something looking into this so thoroughly. I mean, they, you know, how many people do this in, in terms of go so deep into it? I think a lot of people are just kind of, I'm not going to use the word bullied, but they kind of led through the path, through the maze, and they're just happy to get out the other end and don't look to the left or to the right. So do you think that there are people, I'm curious what survivors think. Like I spoke to one person, but she had a lumpectomy, so it was a little different, but she talked about um, the lymphedema. But then again, she had her lymph nodes move, removed. So that's a different mm -hmm. value proposition. So that's not really the same thing as prophylactically have. And then I keep thinking about um, Christina Applegate and- Oh yeah, she had all that done. She had prophylactic, she had reconstruction. And I just wonder how much of her multiple sclerosis has any relation to the removing of her organs. I just wonder. I mean, maybe they're not connected. I don't know. Did she have her ovaries removed too? Like, uh, you know, I, I had the endometrial. I know she did the, she did the, the breast, but I don't know that I would have yeah. to. No, Angelina Jolie had had, had the, the prophylactic. She had the, but yeah. I'm sure she's probably getting, you know, hormone replacement. You know, she's oh, probably, okay. I'm going to guess that she's getting, you know, specialized hormone replacement. Like I had the debulking surgery for, um, my endometrial cancer and that doctor really, you know, he kind of pressured me uh, to have all my, my ovaries removed because he said, look, there's no symptoms for ovarian cancer. And, um, and there is a little bit of um, reassurance that there is a little bit of a feeling, okay, I'll probably not get ovarian cancer, but you know, it was all healthy tissue that I removed. So, and it's still not a hundred percent. You know, so I, I don't know what to tell you. It's not, you know, I wasn't very happy about the whole procedure and having everything done when it turns out I just had like cancer in the one area right. um, and it was probably unnecessary, but maybe in the long run, I have some peace of mind. It's such a tough call. And my surgeon wasn't like, he wasn't, um, he wasn't upbeat. He was more factual about it. I wasn't too happy about that either. So I don't know. I don't know what yeah, position to no, put it. There is, yeah, there yeah. really is no way to delicately, there's no way. Right, to but there's no reason for you to have to, yeah, you're going to feel what you feel and you shouldn't have to feel good about it. You shouldn't have to feel positive if you don't well, want Well, I don't think she was trying to make me feel, po I think she was trying to not make me feel negative. <laughs> okay, all right. Or maybe just help herself get through this, you know, like that's, you know, telling you. That I mean, I, I think know. that's part of the training is right. don't make it sound horrible, but don't right. make it sound like it's good either. It's like, it's hard to thread that needle. And I get right. that, but there's nothing normal about this. There's nothing normal about saying to a woman, the only way we can prevent your cancer is to, they're not, they don't talk about healthy lifestyle. They don't talk about right. exercise. They don't talk about massage. They don't talk about 
supplementation or what Dr. Reardon calls the nutribolics. They don't talk about any of those things. They go straight for the jugular, take them out, and then we don't have to think about them. But is that really the answer? Is that really the I answer? I know, that's the surgeon. It's and a I'm surgical oncologist, I'm, yeah. And I'm not saying that I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do it. But it just makes me upset that there is no, that the science and medicine has no other solution for women. It's just wrong. It's wrong. And I think a lot of this stems from this ignorance that they really have no idea what they're, what they're asking women to do. They have no idea. And I think they need to better educate themselves because if they were better educated about what they're really truly asking women to do, they would tread a little more lightly. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that she was wrong, that she did anything wrong. I'm saying that this whole idea of like normalizing something that is not normal. There's nothing in the world that will make me think that this is normal. It's not normal to, to, to that the only solution is to, to give up your tissue. This is wrong. And science needs to do better than this. That's all. Go to Urban Health Weekly for the links to these articles. I'm just done. And remember, you have one life and one body. So you've got to do your best to make it count so your years are full of life and full of health. Information equals transformation. So small steps each day and you'll see a difference. I'm fairly sure of it. That's all the time we have today, folks. I want to thank you guys, my lovely co-hosts for- All right. Well, thank you. Let me vent all over you. Ah, that's what we're here for. <laughs> All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to Urban Health Weekly today. I hope you'll join me and my friends next week so you can stay informed and inspired to take control of your health. See you next time.